First of all, welcome back to our ninth episode uh, podcast from the Rainbow Umbrella Group. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in. We do hope you're enjoying our podcasts. We've set this podcast up for folks who identify as lesbian. I'm Caroline, one of your hosts today. And let me introduce you to my co-host, Becky. Hi, Becky. Hey. Good afternoon. How are you? Good, good. How are you? Oh, I'm very well, but it was your birthday yesterday, but you'll be pleased to know I'm not going to sing happy birthday on the podcast, but oh, did you have a good day? I think I could insist on that. I'm sorry? I think I could insist on you doing that. <laughs> oh, can you? Happy birthday to you. It was in the days gone by that my dog would join in too, so okay. I, I think he's a bit deaf now, so I don't think he will, so you are lucky. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. I feel lucky. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes, I had a lovely birthday. I got really spoiled and oh. yeah, it was lovely. I had to work, unfortunately. I should have actually cancelled work. I shouldn't have worked, but that was the only mistake I made that day. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. so just a disclaimer around our podcasts and our, our content. We are speaking from our own experiences. We're not speaking for the entire community and we want people to enjoy the podcast. And also, you know, do seek out the help you need in order to help yourself and your mental health as well, because we do talk a lot about that. But Becky, first, you are still in your camper van. You are traveling around on your way home. Yes. I'm on my way south. So at the moment, I'm just parked up outside of Annick, um, where... A lot of Harry Potter was filmed at the castle here, but uh, I've poodled down from Berwick-on-Tweed today along the, the, the northeast coast. I uh, popped across to Lindisfarne um, and did a, a tad bit of uh, bird watching there. The waders are out and absolute masses of um, geese migrating at the moment. That's um, not the type of bird, cat, bird, bird watching that I thought you'd be doing. That's the only reason I get my binoculars out these days. Oh Sorry. dear. Okay. I had to put it in. <laughs> Getting old. <laughs> oh, good God. <laughs> anyway, on that sad point, perhaps we should go on to introduce our guests today. <laughs> Perfect. So today we're going to be chatting to Lorraine. Um, now Lorraine is somebody I met probably once or twice before I ended up having a Christmas dinner with her and it was one of the strangest Christmas dinners I've ever been to because it was about 15 courses of famous meals that people ate literally before they went into battle so I think one of the courses was like porridge with prawns in that's what they ate before they went into battle at Culloden so um yeah we had a very strange uh, meeting then um but Lorraine, again, has a phenomenal story, which uh, I'm, I'm very pleased today she'll, she'll share with us. Uh, Lorraine has had 30 years experience in, in the police service and something I'm desperate to ask her more about, actually, not just her time in the police service, but this phenomenal uh, second wind she's got where she's actually studying a history degree and her dissertation, which is phenomenal. So at some point we're going to come in touch on her dissertation, which I won't uh, steal any thunder um from actually letting Lorraine introduce that at some stage so firstly welcome Lorraine thank you for coming and having a chat with us oh it's my pleasure so one of the first questions we tend to ask people is um when did you first realize that perhaps you preferred women to men well that's, that's a really good question um because I think it probably was the crush on my French teacher when I was um at school I went to an all-girls school 
which any lesbian I think would be very happy to attend. Um, and um, Janice Bradford was my French teacher. And I used to literally sit on the wall at break time, um, deliberately waiting, knowing that she was coming past at that particular time of the day. Sounds like I was stalking her. Um, and just get that sort of thrill uh, uh, of seeing her. Now, whilst I think, you know, a lot of teenagers and young women have crushes on other women, and it's probably, you know, quite a natural thing to do. It wasn't really until I went to college and spent, um, and actually made some really good friends, female friends there, that I started to think, you know, I'm not really attracted to men. I really like being around these women. Um, nothing ever came of that because, you know, my concentration was on my college studies. And then my, you know, my father was very pushy when it came to um, wanting us to have a career. And I'd always wanted to join the police service. And my brother joined four years before me. Um, not that I wanted to follow in his footsteps. And, you know, I wanted to do this very independently. I applied a couple of times to the police cadets and got turned down, um, which I'm quite grateful for now. And then I applied for two jobs, actually, in the same week. One for John Lewis as a trainee manager and um, the other for... Um, and I slightly digress here, but it, well, I'll come back to your, you know, your direct question. Um, and the other was for the police service. And I joined the police service and um, I then joined the hockey team. I'd always been a hockey player, was put in goal at the age of 11, never came out. 35 years later, I was still playing. And um, it was the more time I was spending in this, with other women in this environment that was... Um, predominantly gay and I hadn't really realized that these were all gay women that were experiencing the same feelings I was but it wasn't till um, I I suppose when I was I wasn't I, was till, I suppose I was 28 when I eventually came out um, and I'd gone through quite an emotional journey prior to that and I, I'll come back to that um, and a friend of mine who's still very good friends with me today took me into the garden one afternoon, summer's afternoon, plied me with vodka and I'd started to see a woman at work and she said to me, Lorraine, she said, um, you're either seeing a woman or you're seeing a senior officer because if it was a man, any, any other guy, you would have told me. So come on, out with it, which is, you know. So, um, I said to her, yeah, I'm actually seeing a woman. She said, oh, for goodness sake. So what's the problem? Um, but I suppose, yes, I had many, many years of, of, of struggling with my sexuality. And it was probably, you know, in my early 20s when I'd met these, this group of friends from college. I'd started the police service. I was spending time with some very strong um, strong women in in and i mean that by their personalities and and um you know that were quite confident in their sexuality but it wasn't a safe place to be out in those days in the police service um for fear of ridicule that i started you know and i felt i basically i i had a crush and i fell in love with my first flatmate and that was in my early 20s um and being in an environment that was policing the gay community, the male gay community, when the law didn't allow men to have sexual relationships. 
um, it created an environment for women that was also unsafe whilst there was no legislation against us having relationships. It was the environment and the atmosphere that that created because, you know, I worked in an environment that was very anti-gay because the legislation was saying, actually, it's illegal to be gay. So you had a very male-dominated, male-heterosexual um, policing environment. So that was, that was kind of the start of me thinking, I'm struggling with this. And Lorraine, what, what year was this? When was this? So I joined in 1982. Mm-hmm. So it was probably 1986, 87, um, maybe a little earlier that I really fell head over heels with my first flat share. And she, you know, I was constantly, you know, feeling that I really, really fancy you. And I, you know, I wasn't in, I used to go out with guys, but I was always, I was given a bit of a reputation as a prick teaser because I didn't want, I was struggling with my sexuality. I couldn't be open about it. I couldn't talk to my parents about it, you know, coming from a strong Catholic background. Um, my brothers and sisters, I weren't, I wasn't close to, you know, I had an older brother that was very anti, was homophobic because of how he vocalized that as a police officer. Um, and, you know, so it was probably the early eighties from memory. Mm-hmm. So rather than having the confidence to voice that, I internalized it and I suffered four years from anorexia. You know, and and I can definitely link that back to that. I couldn't control my emotions, so I controlled my food. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was a really difficult time for me because I I didn't, whilst my mum worked in psychiatry and was so supportive, it was very difficult for me to actually verbalise that. So it really wasn't until my friend said to me, I think we need to talk, and that one of my close colleagues at the time, more to the late 80s now, um, when I joined um, a station, uh, another station area, that actually said to me, um, you know, would you like to come for dinner tonight? And I'll introduce you to my partner. And I remember going over there and her partner was female. Mm And that was kind of a, like a huge relief that actually I didn't, I wasn't alone anymore. Um, whilst it still wasn't acceptable within your social environment to bring a female partner to a, you know, to an evening do or something that was organized by the police. Um, there were women out there that kind of, you knew when you met them um, that it was okay to be lesbian. Um, and that's when I kind of, they took me to, the to I think it was um, the Ace of Clubs in Piccadilly, which was my first experience in the early 90s of a gay club. Um, and even then, you know, you were looking at, you know, it wasn't until 1998 that, you know, consent for, for men uh, uh, to have sex at 16. So, we, you know, we're talking a, a long period of time, 1982 through to the late 90s. Um, so yes, it was a, it was a struggle to start with. 
So how did you, um, you know, you, you, you've gone through a huge quantity of internalising and mm. accepting maybe to yourself, but also mm. then obviously having the difficulty with, with food. Mm. So where did you go? We talk a lot to um, people about where they go to get support. So mm. obviously you had a colleague who sort of sussed you out and said, come meet, be safe in our environment. But mm. what else, how else did you get help? And Well, I was losing a lot of weight. I mean, I'm five foot 10. Um, I got down to seven and a half stone. Um, that's you know pretty thin and um, people at work and I was still stationed at this my my new my first station and I remember Tracy who who saved my life um, she was heterosexual and but we policed a lot together and I can remember her coming up to me in what was the backyard of the police station saying Lorraine I'm really worried about you you're losing a lot of weight um, I've got someone I think you need to talk to um, so I kind of accepted that um and she gave me the name a number of actually um an ex-chief superintendent from the metropolitan police who was retired but was now a psychotherapist and she counseled um police officers free of charge um and i got introduced to her and i had about three three and a half years of um, psychotherapy and that was quite intense to start with and then over the years and if I don't even remembering remember it finishing, um, but it kind of got less and less and less. Um, and I think by the time that finished, um, I had met my two friends, you know, that, that invited me over for dinner that evening. Um, and even today, you know, it's something that you know, if you suffer from anorexia, you still you still have to manage it. I mean, I manage it now. Um, obviously, if I get stressed, I tend to, I tend to lose weight if I get emotionally stressed. Um, but yeah, so I was very lucky, um, Becky, at having um, someone that actually was brave enough, or not so much brave enough, but kind enough to come up to me and say, look, Lorraine, I think you need to, you know, to speak to somebody. Um, before that though you were totally on your totally own. On my own. come out to yourself had you realized um, no, no, at that, that time no Becky I, at that time I hadn't come out to myself um I was struggling with something that I I, I couldn't verbalize I knew in my heart what was going on but I didn't have anywhere to go to I didn't have any source of um so much source but I didn't have anyone to go to physically that I I could actually say I'm really struggling with this um you know I'm gay um I don't know who to go to because there was no you couldn't go around a police station or um and find that you have today that you can join gay groups and you know LGBT groups the support network is fabulous these days um there was nothing. And Lorraine, I know I've listened to one of your podcasts that you were on at the mm. Pretty Policeman, and you were talking about the homophobia in the workforce and mm. how that some of the some of your colleagues would actively seek out gay areas and arrest people. You know, 
to 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 bring up their numbers of, of arrests that month or whatever and you, you were around that homophobia and that constant mm-hmm. um you know belittling belittling of of, of 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 gay men all the time and you were then also trying to come to terms with your sexuality as well at the same time mm-hmm. or that's you, right yeah so, so so you're caught you're caught in an environment of joining what I wanted and I saw as a career that I wanted to be successful. I wanted to make a difference to people's lives, but in the same time you're in an environment that is so homophobic, is so oppressive. And there was lots of bullying that went on. And I'll give you an example of that. The first two weeks that I joined the police service, and we're going back to 1982. I was young. I was naive hadn't had thoughts about my sexuality but I can remember on a night shift two in the morning going coming in from my walk in the town centre going up to what was a bar canteen area um, from the ground floor to have a break and turning around and two male officers from another shift were behind me and one of them turned around and said are you the new WAP women officer of police so I said yes Oh, he said, we've heard you've joined. Um, he said, uh, I think you need to be uh, initiated. And of course, the other one was making sexual gestures with his hand over his penis. And I found myself, my heart was racing. And the next thing I heard, because I turned and he said, get her. And I ran up those three flights of stairs like my life was on the line. I remember running into the bar area. They grabbed me from behind, pushed me over the snooker room table and got a wooden truncheon out and shoved it up my skirt. And in the meantime, they're shouting, squeak, piggy, squeak. Whoa. So with that experience, you're, you're... you know, with all that mixed in with, you know, your sexuality, you wanted to do what was right to be a good copper, but you couldn't in, in certainly within, you know, um, policing the gay community. And this is when I, when I spoke to, when I was interviewed on the podcast, um, they, for me, there was this question of why, you know, am I going to be asked why Lorraine didn't you do anything why didn't you do anything um positive at the time when you stopped those gay men with your male colleague um but you couldn't for fear of being bullied so there was this real tear between wanting to be a police officer and actually you know trying to demonstrate you're being a police officer by arresting someone who's gay when actually you're struggling with your own sexuality and you're thinking this is wrong. But to be able to stand there at that time and say, that is wrong, I would have lost the job. I would have been either assaulted or I'd lost my job. And that, that emotional turmoil is, is, is horrendous to experience. So what I, the only way that I could deal with that at the time was, I can remember going to one lady and my colleague says, well, you go along that row of cars and I'll go along this and I used to go up to the driver and I said look I know why you're here just drive away so I would never do anything positive Mm -hmm. and I can put hand on my heart 
I never arrested anyone for those offences. Mm-hmm. I, I stepped back, you know, rightly or wrongly. Um, that was how the environment made me act. So there is a, my conscience um, feels, it's not clear, but it's, it, I feel better because I stood back. And that was the only way that, um, as a female new officer, that I could do that. Mm-hmm. It's heartbreaking to, to hear this. And, it, and again, it, it's the time when we were all living. You know, this is an, an ancient history. This, this is, you know, in our, our living years. I think the thing that I'm sort of grateful, reflected on my own life, is that as much as it's taken me a long time to get to know who I am, I think I've always been able to be authentic. Uh-huh. It seems that you've had to wear not only a uniform for work, but a uniform to protect you. And I'm relieved to hear that you don't think perhaps the institutionalized um, belittling of people of difference, shall we say, within the police still exists. However, how, how did you get through that? Obviously, you had some therapy and support that way, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. how it was have having, you... uh, Becky, it was having um, a supportive circle of friends and, and a strong supportive so, um, social group. So the hockey was predominantly... Um, or the female hockey team was predominantly gay women. Um, I had um, a route to socialise in. Um, And actually, interestingly, you know, when I did go, there were a number of gay pubs in the town that I was policing. Um, And it was becoming, you know, the law was changing, although it was the late 90s. Um, And I was able, and when I was, I was outed. I wasn't, you know, it wasn't me that said to everybody that I'm, you know, I'm gay. I'd started seeing a female police officer. We'd start, we'd live, we were living together. And um, I can remember a police officer coming up to me um, and saying, oh, Lorraine, I hear you've come out. And I said, well, I haven't, but it's obviously out there. And everyone was very accepting. There were a couple of officers that I've had to, you know, uh, more new recruits than anything. But as a woman, you had to prove yourself. So it wasn't about, um, you know, being coming out and being comfortable with that. You, as a female officer, so there was kind of two layers to this. You know, as a female officer, you're having to prove yourself. And as a now a female lesbian officer, you know, I was having to deal with people's opinions um and you know on the whole it was it was pretty good um my it was it was harder with my family um but better in my work environment when I eventually came out because I could I could go to work and I could talk about my partner um because you couldn't join those conversations you know for fear of you know what people thought I don't care about that anymore (laughs) you know um so yeah, it, um, it, it, it was difficult. And Lorraine, when did you, you said you, it was 1980, 1998, when consent came in for mm. to have sex with each other. And did you start seeing changes in the police force with around, around acceptance at that, like you, 19, that, that's like what, 
16 yeah. years later after you yeah. joined. Oh, so yes. Was that when it started to change for you or did you have to wait longer? Um, yes, I, th- I think it, I think it did. Um, because by that time, you know, I was in relation, I've been in relationships. Um, it wasn't still, it wasn't comfortable with my parents. Um, my dad was better than my mum. Um, my bro- older brother was very difficult, but my younger other two siblings were great. Um, so yes, I think, you know, certainly within the police service, you know, there was the LGBT um, a, a group that was set up um, and there was more people that were homophobic or any behavior that was homophobic was challenged. Mm. And, and that was refreshing to see. Um, really refreshing to see. But, you know, when you think about how, when you say it like that, Caroline, you know, 16 years, it's, yeah, a, it's a long time. Yeah. You know, that's, that's, you know, it's a lot of your career that you had to fight hard internally with yourself and around people that were prosecuting and arresting people, gay men for just, mm. you know, being themselves. Mm, absolutely. And what would your advice be today? Because obviously things have moved on, but sadly discrimination, bigotry. Um, I, I liked how you referred to things before you said opinions and actually you're right. It is opinions, isn't it? Cause it, it's not right or wrong. It's just an opinion. Um, so what, what advice would you give to those people today if they're experiencing discrimination? Cause some of the people who listen to this podcast, you know, are thinking about trying to come out, uh, mm-hmm. or trying to live that authentic self as mm-hmm. we keep referring to. Mm-hmm. So what, what advice would you give? I would, I think with my experiences is, is find someone that you, you, you're conf, you, you can confide in and talk to. I think talking is the most important thing and to find space to do that is just to express those feelings. Um, there are so many more support groups out there and, you know, the work of the gay activists during my time, you know, there's, there's lots and lots of support out there, but I think talking about it and also, you know, I was afraid to come out. You know, I can remember people coming up to me saying, Oh, I'm really here, pleased to hear you've come out. You know, we're surprised. I had one police officer said, Oh, I'm pretty disappointed <laughs> because, you know, <laughs> which actually is quite an amusing story, but, um, yeah, find someone that you feel confident that you could talk about it. I think there's nothing better than being able to express how you feel. And even if it's just between, you know, another a mutual friend or picking up the phone to the switchboard, um, because there are lots of groups out there now, um, you know, but to experience that discrimination this day and age is wholly unacceptable. And you know, that needs to be challenged. And, you know, if you've got, you know, if you're in an environment, a work environment that has um, the support groups, unions or whatever, and you can't challenge that yourself, then then speak to someone that can do that um, because it's, it's abhorrent. Yeah, it, 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 it must, because I would think, okay, if I'm being discriminated against and it gets violent or nasty or I feel threatened, then I'll engage with the police service potentially. Mm-hmm. So, 
Yeah. Absolutely. It's, a, it's an ironic circle, isn't it? It is. And I would be really confident now to pick up the phone to the police service. Of course, and, and that's easy for me to sit here saying that, you know, if, if I had received a call, and I did, you know, in you know, 2000 onwards from people that were experiencing discrimination or had been, um, or homophobia in the streets or, or whatever environment, you know, to have someone like me come into your home, um, I, I would have done, I'd gone to the ends of the earth to make sure that, you know, whoever was responsible for that was punished. Um, and I hope today that, and I know there are very positive and there are gay male and off, gay male and female officers out there that, you know, will, would deal with, um, you know, your complaint, um, even if they were heterosexual, you would still get um, a much better um, service than you would have done when I was in the police service during the 80s and maybe early 90s. I, I remember li listening to Irish people talk about being gay in the 80s and if their house was burgled or robbed, they had to de-gay their house before they rang the police. So they had to remove photographs, they had to remove everything because the police wouldn't even take them seriously that their house had been robbed. Or Well, thank goodness we've moved forward. And I hope it's not just about legislation in place that's stopping us behaving in ways that is, isn't, you know, humane. I hope maybe we're, we're learning to live more tolerantly with each other, with all, all our differences. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, with, with Section 28, you know, going back to when that was quashed, you know, that was brought out to stop people, to stop education uh, establishments teaching about homosexual lesbian relationships. I mean, how shocking is that? Now, you know, there is in the many educational establishments, you know, an openness about it's okay. You know, it's, it, it's quite normal to want to have a relationship with a woman or another man um, and that you know it, it, it's wrong to discriminate and um, you're no different to any other person just that you choose to live your life with a woman or you know same sex we had a phenomenal um, chat last week with um, Dr Caroline who goes into schools and, and is a sex expert and she was talking about all the, uh, the the training that happens in school now and, and how obviously they're trying to demystify um, and take away some of the fear. Um, so it's quite encouraging to hear that, I think. And I only wish I was growing up at that time because I think I would have realised a hell of a lot sooner. <laughs> it, it, is, it, is, I think it is still out there, Becky. You know, you know I, I, I work in education now and... Um, I, you know, you still hear those homophobic comments from young teenagers that I've worked with. It's still there. I don't think it'll ever go away, but I think we have better structures and frameworks, individuals, groups, services, to be able to support and challenge um, that homophobia. And it's all our responsibilities, I suppose, to, 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 to call it isn't it now mm. and the legislation is there to enable us to help do that yeah absolutely so.
So Lorraine, if you could go back and give your 20 year old self some advice, what would it be? I would have spoken about coming to terms with my sexuality. It's not that I, I didn't want to be gay, um, but I would have spoken about it a lot earlier to someone that I could confide in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, from that time in my early 20s, I, I, it's not a case of wasting, but well, yeah, maybe it is. I, I just feel sometimes I've wasted, I wasted that six years Mm-hmm. You know, and it would have been, uh, you know, if, if, oh, the ifs, if there had been someone, and there probably was, maybe you know, it was down to lack of confidence on my part um, of actually saying to that good friend at the time, uh, I'm, you know, I'm gay. I, I don't know, you know, how to, you know, to deal with it. There was a, a one moment I remember one morning having breakfast with, with, with this girl that I shared a flat with. And, um, you know, we, we kind of used to sh- snuggle up in bed together in the mornings, you know, on a Saturday morning, we'd she'd do muffins and stuff like that. And we'd watch the telly um, and just chat girl things. And I can remember, cause she was really quite emotionally mature. And I can remember her saying to me, Lorraine, look, I can't give you the love that you want. Um, and I remember that really clearly and it was that moment, I, I suppose when I look back, I wish that I'd said, look, yeah, I am having, I'm struggling with my sexuality. And what can I do about it? Can you help me? And Lorraine, was that the person you said you fell in love with? Your, yeah, that, yeah. So yeah. she knew. She knew. She knew, but she was really kind to you about it. Yeah, yeah. How lovely. Like, but, yeah, and it was, yeah. And she was yeah. gorgeous. Um, but I, But I wish... I'd taken that step further and said, I'm struggling with my sexuality. You know, I've, I've fallen in love with you. I know that, you know, it's not something that you can give me because, you know, she, she, um, she was heterosexual. But I think if we'd had that conversation or I'd started that conversation, I think things would have been different in starting my relationships with, with women earlier than I did. Mm-hmm. Wow. And Lorraine, you're back studying now. So retired from the police force and you've gone back and I still don't know what you're studying. Becky keeps ah. reading to it <laughs> in emails well, and in conversations. So tell us more. Well, well, I, I kind of never had the opportunity when I was in the police to do a degree. And, and, um, and, and also at school, you know, I was always considered not good enough to go to, to university. And... My, both my parents passed away um, some years back. The police service would never have supported studying history, which I'm, I'm studying now, at degree level. I had some money that, you know, my mum, my parents left, left me. And I put that money towards um, self-funding a degree at the University of Hertfordshire, part-time, because I work three days a week um, in education. Yeah, I've, um, I've never looked back. There's another one, another thing that oh, I wish I'd you know had the opportunity to do many years ago. But you know, it, it was something that maybe emotionally I was not ready for, um, and also from a confidence point of view. So I applied to University of Hertfordshire four years ago. Um, the degree has taken me five years, but this year I'm having a resting year. It's 
purely because of, I mean, COVID has had an impact on the way we're taught. Mm -hmm. Half of it was online. And I, I struggled a bit in the early lockdown period of, of doing a lot of seminars online. So that was kind of in, impacted on my decision just to take this year out, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then finish my last two years from next year. So I'll actually graduate um, in my 60th, just before my 60th birthday, which is, yeah. so it'll be a great celebration. <laughs> as yeah. hope I can have a party. So that's, yeah, I, I decided to study history and I have never looked back. Mm-hmm. It's been phenomenal. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm, not all my lectures, but two of my best lecturers uh, from Ireland uh, and been a huge influence on the area of study that, uh, and that I'm going to be completing my dissertation on. But I've been, had an opportunity to study the most phenomenal modules, you know, literally from Cuban Missile Crisis through to, you know, um, crime uh, and punishment. Yeah, fabulous experience. I can see the twinkle in your eyes as you talk about it. (laughs) Now, what I really want you to share is your dissertation title with us. Okay. (laughs) Um, My dissertation title. Well, it it took a long time to come up um, with this. Well, it actually didn't take that long, to be honest with you. Um, I'll take you back a little bit before I um, tell you my title. I was sitting in seminar and, and for me, the third year of my part-time studies was, was kind of the last year of a full-time, my full-time um, student colleagues. And um, they all had to sort of put their dissertation proposals together. And I was struggling. I was going to do something on um, discipline and education. Um, but I'd always, been, I'd always had lots of sort of um, cheeky conversations um, especially when we were studying areas of sexuality and sex and uh, the appropriateness of it and how it was exploited during the long 18th century. So we're talking about 17th and 18th century. And um, it was, I can remember sitting in class and Leanne said to me, well, what are you thinking of, of um, doing a dissertation on Lorraine? So I said, well, discipline and education. And I'm not really sure. Anyway, I remember her calling up, we're having this break, and I approached her over something else, and she said to me, how about um, looking at something of material culture? So I thought, material culture? What, what sort of object? She said, what about the vibrator? So I looked at her, and I honestly, my grin went from ear to ear, and she had this twinkle in her eye. So of course I went back to my desk, and all the girls that I was in the group with were all scribbling away about looking at their titles. And that was the one seminar that we had to come up with a title. So the title of my dissertation is From Hysteria to Euphoria. Um, basically the history of the vibrator um, uh, during the, in the 20th century. Um, so what I'm looking at, and you know, that title is sort of can be tweaked but I'm looking at um, the vibrator's history in the 20th century as an object, but also um, women's sexual fulfillment um, through its use. So I'm not going in between the sheets, you know, and I've, I've, um, there's a questionnaire out there for women that are 50 and over. And the reason 
that I looked at women over 50 is because they were of an age, you know, they'd be in their teens exploring their sexuality um, back sort of in the 1930s, 1940s. So I capture that sort of age group. Um, and some amazing responses on that questionnaire, although I've still got to do some a little bit more, you know, um, picking of that apart. Um, and I've interviewed six women. I'm looking for four more women over 50. If there's anyone out there that wants to... Um, I had friends who fill in your questionnaire, but you're only, it's only for people in the UK. Oh. Yeah, but I have people if you need them. Yeah, because I'm looking at England. I'm looking at yeah. um, um, of England and not, um, not Ireland. But, I, you know, hopefully in the future, you know, I've, I've got keen um, ideas about doing my master's and PhD, um, and I will expand that um, because so much has come out of it, you know, from from an object that, you know, was sort of advertised as a massager, um, whilst between the lines the advertisements would read can be, can be used, you know, has other uses, you know, all these inferences, um, has become an object that has supported women emotionally, you know, supported their mental health, and also has been, you know, something there for them physically, whether that's shared or on their own, both lesbian and heterosexual, because I'm not just focusing on um, lesbian lives, I'm looking at heterosexual lives as well, um, but specifically looking, talking to women about um, how that object, how the vibrator has impacted on their lives, which has been quite fascinating. Yeah, God, oh, and, and such a lovely conversation to be having with women because people don't talk about vibrators as well. You know, no, they don't. We don't, we don't use it, I, it's not, we don't need it. No, and actually, you know, my friends make me laugh because they say to me, when you talk about it, you, you, there's, no, um, there's no sort of embarrassment about it now. I mean, I, I walked into a, my local post office. I live in a village in, in Hertfordshire. You know, it's on the borders of Hertfordshire and Bedfordshire. And there must be about probably three and a half thousand people here. Um, so there's one post office that serves all. And um, I said to my, uh, to Leanne, you know, how do I recruit people? So of course I put stuff on Twitter and, um, and um, I thought, well, why don't just ask women? So I'm in the, I'm in the queue at the post office in a local village store and the postmistress is over 50. Well, she looks over 50 and she was over 50. And I said to her when I was buying a stamp, I said, I hope you don't mind me asking you. I said, um, I'm st and she knew, she kind of didn't know me, but she knew of me because I was in there quite regularly. I said, look, I'm studying history. I said, my dissertation is, um, um, it's titled From Hysteria to Euphoria uh, and sexual, Women's Sexual Fulfillment in the 20th Century. So she said, oh, she thought, that's interesting. And I, thought, I looked behind me and there was no one behind me. So I thought I can have this conversation. And I said, look, I'm looking to interview women over 50 I said, I'm not going between the sheets. Um, you know, there's specific questions. Um, and would you like to get involved? Oh, yes, dear, I'd love to. <laughs> so, you know, not only did I, you know, I was cheeky enough, because I'm a cheeky, mature student, um, to ask people outright. Obviously, I gauged them a little bit first, but we, we always had a nice chatter when we, we, you know, we met over buying a stamp or two. 
and um, it's kind of evolved from there. Um, I think Leanne was really disappointed whilst, you know, she accepted my decision to, to step back this year. Um, she's been pleased to hear that, you know, I will be going back next year and it will be finished. Yeah. Um, but there isn't very little academically written about, um, about the vibrator. Wow. Well, I'm looking forward to yeah. more about it after you finish and hopefully get a copy of it. Maybe yeah. you can oh, absolutely. I'll be happy, very happy to share it. Yeah. We could even interview you after this. Um, yeah. But apparently there's a, a, a new thing out now, which I'd never heard of. And I don't think you had either. It's an awful name. A womanizer. Uh, did you look it up, Caroline, after last week? The Satisfier and the Womanizer? Yes, of course I did. <laughs> I'm still away, so I still haven't. But uh, maybe there's something to have a look at. It's probably too modern for you. It's not history, it's future, but... <laughs> future. I'll go, I'll go anywhere with it, Becky. <laughs> oh, bless you. Well, thank you very, very much for sharing your story with us. Um, I really appreciate it. It's still quite daunting to hear that so many people have gone through so much just to be who they really are um but again inspiring to hear that you're good and you're happy and you you you're all doing the things that you want to do now and yeah. equally that the organization that you work for for such a long time has moved forward as well um and one hopes society will so again very inspirational to to hear that so thank you for your honesty i appreciate it and yes both of us will be looking forward to learning more about uh uh, your dissertation and how that goes forward and yeah I, I hope you have a good year off doing Thank whatever you. you want to do I appreciate it's a difficult time at the moment but I look forward to seeing you again soon and yes, maybe yes, having a conversation too. over some porridge with prawns in again mm, not sure about that I think we'll try we'll try barbecue she, she's into barbecuing yes. these days that's well, it that'll be fantastic just one question for you because we're always looking for recommendations for our reading materials, for our uh, films to watch. Anything you'd recommend to our listeners to watch, read, see around? Do you know what? I met met an amazing woman, um, Dr. Kate Lister. um, She's a a lecturer at Leeds University. And I I was very fortunate to go to um, an evening last year um about sex and um yeah it was, it was about sex I, I forget the top of my head what the title of the um the conference was but it was at the london museum archives and it was it was around the history of sex and i came across them they 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 gave us an insight into the most phenomenal objects you know from tiles that were found behind a wall in a pub in london that were um, depicting you know um, men and women having sex as though and there was sort of discussions around whether that used to be a a um, you know a brothel or you know somewhere where that you went where you could choose you know what type of sexual experience you had um, anyway Kate Lister was there with the um, author of um, Fifty Shades of Grey um, forgive me I forget her name it's down to age and um, hormones i think but i would recommend this one the curious history of sex by kate lister all right I want a good read i curious okay i curious history she, of she sex. only she writes one um chapter on the vibrator but she focuses on the victorian 
period. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you want, yeah, if you want to, to have a laugh as well, I would absolutely recommend, I would recommend that. Um, she signed mine, which is really great. Um, oh, crikey, what else? I, I think it's my, my taste in, in books. I've got a lot of academic books. Um, you know, and I, I love a, you know, a thriller. But in, in, in my area of sort of um, research, I think Kate Lister is, is phenomenal. Um, and also, I've got one here that's, um, this one's really good. Sex Before the Sexual Revolution. It's, it's academic, but it's a really interesting read. Well, thank, thank you. you again for all your time. I do appreciate it. And uh, Becky, any time. Thank you, Lorraine. It was great to talk. It's my pleasure, Caroline. Nice to have met you. Well, um, that was a phenomenal story again, wasn't it? Um, You know, I think thinking about where do we go if we're in trouble? We go to the police and, you know, back in the 80s, 90s, if certain people of our society were in trouble, you know, they couldn't even go to the police, perhaps. and I still find that staggering. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I remember going to my first Pride in London and right out at the front were the, the police LGBT, you know, community and really, really stomping with Pride. So thank goodness, you know, it has changed, but obviously still a fight. Yeah, And in some countries, in, we're lucky, you know, we still have to think about all the other countries where it's still illegal, where they still are... Uh, experiencing this where women are experiencing this as well so yeah 70 countries apparently in the in the globe it's still illegal to have a homosexual relationship yeah so it's it's quite scary isn't it look what you you know look i I just it upsets me when i hear about what's happening in poland so yeah you know and we friends we we all know people gay people in poland who've left poland but yeah you know but no, lovely story. I love what she's studying. Hysteria of, what is it? Hysteria of? Hysteria to euphoria. Euphoria. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Well, why not? That's what it is all about, those vibrators. <laughs> <laughs> I think I go from hysteria to euphoria. So yeah, absolutely works, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. Yeah. Anyway, you're going to share with us very briefly what you looked up about that. What was it? fire the satisfier womanizer or whatever it's called no i just it looks interesting um (laughs) it looks like the opposite of a vibrator if you think about how you use a vibrator it it yeah it's more more research has to be done but um yeah it was like what i don't know it's all to do with air because that's what dr west was saying she was talking about so um yeah you type a (laughs) blowjob I haven't seen it, but all I can tell you is that you're not going red, which is great, but I've never seen your eyes move so far to the right when you're thinking about how you describe what you've seen. <laughs> so you know when you're really thinking and it's like, ooh. You wear glasses the next time, you'll have makeup on. <laughs> oh but it was brilliant it was great so th- i i appreciate lorraine sharing with us and, I, and I, for me personally it's like i'm in a bit of a hiatus as to what to do next and isn't it lovely to think you can go and study something that you you're yeah. so passionate about and so interested about mm-hmm. so it's great 
yeah brilliant so have we got any content this week that was the content <laughs> that was oh, well i might have I one do. this week oh, please go ahead um it's not necessarily to do with the lesbian community but i still found it a phenomenal story um so i listened to chris evans on virgin radio in the morning Mm-hmm. And he, on Friday, I think it was, interviewed Philip Schofield. Oh, now, I, I don't know if you know yeah. Philip Schofield no, and his story. But my goodness me, um, you can tell he works for a, an independent radio station because he spent probably a good 40 minutes in discussion with no music playing or anything else about Philip's story. And I found it very touching, very inspiring. Um heartbreaking um but also i realize how lucky people are if they have family around them um so i would really recommend it and it's so it's on the virgin catch-up virgin radio catch-up and it was chris evans interview with philip schofield so that would be my okay recommendation i remember when he came out i was really surprised because i always thought he was gay like i well i I didn't know he was married with a wife i i actually just assumed he was an out i thought he was out of the closet this is interesting isn't it i just never thought about it but then i equally never would have thought how difficult it was for someone to come out and i don't understand why that because obviously it took me years to come out so it's like of course it is so, but, uh, yeah, I know gay men and gay women who are married to are in a heterosexual relationships are married and there's kids and that's yeah no I've seen people and they've had to get some serious help um, just to the support and help and for the to, to, you know I mean having like heart attacks and being in hospital and the doctors going you're really fit you you're always you know you work out what pressure are you under that's causing this you know and that is your body reacting you know what I mean and for me that's what happened it was my body started I knew I I couldn't continue because I couldn't continue not coming out to myself because otherwise I'd end up in hospital the stress was too much and it's 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 almost like a a a parallel really because obviously Philip Schofield coming out was all about his career and the damage possibly it was going to do to his career and exactly the same with Lorraine and the story there and how obviously you've got to be mindful about how you come out about yourself yeah anyway i'm getting deep and meaningful again now and the sun's beginning to set and i'm very very sorry about uh, the noise of the the level crossing so i don't know how much you can hear on this but, uh... i don't think you can. We'll see. <laughs> but thank you to lorraine for for yeah. being on our show today it was fantastic um and it's great to see you again, still a, a wandering around in your camper van. <laughs> I'm on my way home. I'm on my way south. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, thank you to the, our listeners. And please rate our podcast um, if you can on Apple or on Spotify. Apple, you can definitely rate it. But if you like it and enjoy it, do rate us and let us know how you are enjoying the show. And if you have any, um, if any of our listeners have people that they think are topics that they think we should be covering it would be lovely to hear from you as well okie dokie bye all right